Here they come! Hello, and welcome to episode 125 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average, or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Dave Fox to discuss the ending of The Rocketeer. Hello! Hello! Who is it? It's been quite a while, Dave, so happy Thanksgiving. Happy Christmas and Happy New Year to you. Are British people allowed to offer Happy Thanksgiving to Americans? Technically, no. No, <laughs> because you're a traitor, basically, if you say Happy Thanksgiving. Yes. I, I think you've just violated some uh, part of the Geneva Convention or something yeah, like it, that. In my very first sentence of this uh, recording, I've, yeah, I've ballsed it up, haven't I? <laughs> well, happy all of those things to you as well. Yeah. Yeah, and happy birthday if I've missed that one as well, all right? <laughs> no, you yeah, we haven't. Ju- we were just saying, I mean, it's it's coming up for a year since you were last on the show, so it's about time you came back. Well, I'm happy to be here, and I want to offer you congratulations once again. I did it off the air, but I want to do it on here. On your new show on NeoZaz, oh. Mad Max in character, very nice. And I know that your other show is ending, so as yep. one goes away, one is reborn. Very nicely put. See, you should be on this show more often. You give it class. You do. <laughs> <laughs> None of you could see me sitting here in my uh, in my pajamas because it's early in the morning here. Yes, yes, and it's it, it's just into the afternoon here. So, yeah, no. So, yeah, I'm I'm I am very much looking forward to talking about the Rocketeer. Um, and I first of all, I need your opinion on something because over here in the UK. The Rocketeer, when it came out, it didn't have much of a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. I mean, we definitely didn't show it. And the uh, town I was in, um, uh, a projectionist at then, was the county town. So, you know, it was the main town of the county of Kent. We didn't show it. I don't know who showed it. And the perception as I see it for The Rocketeer over here is people like it. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that. But nobody really talks about The Rocketeer. Um, what, what's the perception in America for The Rocketeer? Was it big? Was it popular? It's almost exactly what you described it is in Britain. Oh, right. It was. This movie came out the first year that I started working at a movie theater. Mm-hmm. And it came out that summer. And I remember being very excited and nobody else really being. Mm. And it was it was kind of like you said it, it came and went it was it was a major motion picture so it showed in all theaters and people liked it but it didn't have the legs that anything else had and it just went away and has kind of like disappeared into the ether of motion pictures and every mm-hmm. once in a while <laughs> probably people like me and you on podcasts will bring it up and people will say oh yeah I think I remember that I think it was cute. But it doesn't have the mythology that anything else ever had. And I don't understand why, because I think it's a classic. It is, it's, a, it's a terrific film. And, you know, I mean, 
when you said, yeah, yeah, I can do this, it's like, great, I've got the excuse to go out and buy it on Blu-ray. So that's what I did. <laughs> and, and, and watching it again on Blu-ray, it's a very well-made film. It's very well-crafted. It's very loving in its setting and, you know, the references to, you know, um, 40s, 50s, you know, um, Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, but I don't know. It, it, there's just something about it. It hasn't. You're right. It it should it should be a blockbuster that's really well thought of. Do you think it might be, um, you know, the uh, Billy Campbell? Is do you think? Because my wife watched a bit of it with me, and she goes, "He's got no charisma. He's he's just like you know a, a wet blanket." Um, do you think it is lack of star power? If if it had been a bigger actor as Clifford Secord, it might have you know got more recognition. I think that's probably a big part of it because he is, I find him very charming and, and I think he's, he's a good end to the means in this movie, but Billy Campbell's nobody really. And I couldn't really tell you anything else he's ever done. I can't think of anything. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember. I think he's, he's, he's very handsome. He fits the part. He's he's charming enough in this, but really, you like him best when he can't even see his face. Like for as handsome as he is, mm. you're waiting for him to put that handsome mug away and put that damn helmet on. And that is a mighty fine helmet, I must say. It's the best. But I think you're right. If this had been something else with a an '80s heart, not even heartthrob, but an '80s action star, I can't even think of anybody that really could do this. Well, I'm not giving anything away, but when we reach behind the scenes, I've got a little game for you to play regarding okay. casting. All right. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that, but it's like, okay, all right, so he hasn't got the screen presence of maybe another actor, but you've got Jennifer Connolly in this, you've got Timothy Dalton, and, and at that time, they were big names. Yeah. But I, I don't know, it just it, it just didn't ignite, did it? No, it was underwhelming as far as its response, and... Nobody, nobody talked about it then. Nobody talks about it now. It's just, I mean, I, I told you I watch this on Disney Plus. Mm. And I think it's, it, it Disney Plus categorizes their movies like Netflix and Hulu does. And it's under something called like, I don't know, Retro Classics or something like that. They have it stuck in there with other movies like Flight of the Navigator that were nice family films in people's opinions, but that don't have the grip on, I don't know, uh, pop culture that, that mm. other things did. And this didn't, if it had any grip, it lost it quickly and it's gone. Yeah. I don't think it's got a cult following. I mean, you don't really see references to it at, at conventions. I've only known one person. I, I was doing a convention. It was back when I was with the, uh, 501st as a sand trooper and I was at a, a film and TV con and uh, a guy turned up as the rocketeer and it was like whoa and it, and he looked perfect you know that the, the <laughs> helmet was perfect the jetpack was perfect and and that was brilliant because like it's, it's not what you're used to seeing at a convention suddenly the rocketeers there you know yeah and 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 if you had seen the film the people that are there who knew the rocketeer he got such a reaction because you just don't see people dressed up as the Rocketeer at conventions, do you? Yeah. At this point, the Rocketeer as a reference is esoteric. Mm. You need to be in the small minority that even remember this this movie 
and then on top of that likes it to really appreciate a Rocketeer reference. I mean, I end up talking about it on the Star Wars podcast that we do just because I like it. And, and I think even like Chris, I think Chris likes this movie from the show, but even he'll be like, why do you have such a hard on for the Rocketeer? It's, I, it's just something that people don't give a crap about. And again, it is a conundrum because it's a fabulous film. It's a charming film. Um, it was Joe Johnston's uh, first uh, directing gig. I mean, you know, he would go on to do uh, the first Captain America film. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a very loving nod to, you know, classic era, era Hollywood. And, um, yeah, it, it's a mystery, this film. It really is. This show is going to bring it out of the darkness that's it that's our mission that's our and, mission today then and into the limelight let's do it let's do it i um, think you should get a personalized letter of thanks from alan arkin after this because i think after this his career is going to take off that guy and billy campbell <laughs> if he's still alive billy campbell we'll, yes we'll get him away from the, the, the waiting on tables and back into hollywood shall we <laughs> let's do it all right i mean you say you, when you saw it you loved it did you go out and buy the graphic novel that no. it's based on? No. Are you aware that it's based on a graphic novel? No. Ah, right. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's a graphic novel. It collected a series of uh, of the comics of The Rocketeer by a guy by the name of Dave Stevens. He wrote it and he drew it. And what you see in the film, I mean, it's about 50, 50 faithful, um, you know, the Bulldog Cafe is exactly right. All the characters that frequent the, you know, the airstrip cafe, you know, are exactly right. PV is just like that. You know, Cliff, in the comic, Cliff is a bit more of a jerk than, okay. uh, yeah, he, he is, um, he is charming in the film, but he's, yeah, th th there's an, more of an edge to him in the comic. That um, might have helped in the movie. Yeah, Because you're, you're rooting for them as a couple, but at, at times he, He's he's not even really a jerk. He's just ignoring her because he's doing this other stuff. Mm. And you start to feel bad for her because he's not he's not a very good boyfriend. But it's not no, that he's a jerk. No. He's just he's just he's just a, a he's just a goofy guy who cares about flying and then who has this this situation thrust upon him. Um, but he's not really a jerk. He could it, it would have been better if he was a jerk. Yeah, he is a bit of a jerk, and he's a bitter jerk because in the comics, um, Jenny. But by, by the way, Jenny in the comics isn't called Jet Jenny. She's called Betty Page. <laughs> do you do you know who the real Betty Page is? I know she's an actress. Well, she was sort of like um, what, 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 a pinup girl, like pinup girl, a pin -up girl, like yeah. Mae West and Betty yes, Page. Yeah, very much so, very much so, and um, a, a very famous one. And Dave based you know his betty page on the real betty page he just uh spelt the surname differently and he became friends with the real betty page through doing so <laughs> um but she wouldn't as as much as they were friends she wouldn't allow him to use her name in the film that's why she's not called betty she's called jenny okay right and yeah in the comics jenny stroke betty wasn't an aspiring actor she was uh, an artistic model in inverted commas that uh, would take her clothes off for these rather um, dodgy uh, photographers. And okay. that's why Cliff was bitter. He was trying to get money to get her away from all that. 
you know. Oh, okay. That I like that storyline. In this, he is bitter about her acting because even I watch it again. I watched it a couple of days ago, and I watched it uh, again this morning. I actually have it on. I'm actually looking at it right now as we talk. Mm-hmm. Um, he's bitter that she's infatuated with Neville. Yep. And she gets her line in the movie, and he goes, well, I guess you have to kiss him after that. You know, like, he is jealous. Mm. Yeah. Well, the, the the other changes in the comics is, I mean, you, you have got the Nazis going after the jetpack. Um, you haven't got Howard Hughes um, oh. as the inventor of the jack, uh, jetpack. You haven't got old Terry Quinn, old um, John Locke, isn't it? You know, with hair, <laughs> which I always forget about. Yeah. And then he turns up, and I only know him as John Locke, you know, with no right. hair. And to see him as almost like Tony Stark's father, as yeah. Howard Hughes, um, is a bit <laughs> he of looks ri- He looks ridiculous with hair. It, that, it's not a very good special effect. This is a special effect show, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It just, it, because the, it's a, like you said, anybody from Lost does never want to see him wearing any kind of hairpiece. And anytime he's in anything else where he has hair, it's like, come on, man. <laughs> Lose the hair. Lose the hair. It, the, the Howard, not having Howard Hughes in the graphic novel, I think, would be a hit. A, a, a take away from the graphic novel because I love I don't know how Howard Hughes is is viewed in 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 the UK but over here he is like a, a, an iconic almost like make-believe person over here he's mainly known for being you know his later years where he became the recluse you know rather than you know right. his technical you know, the long, the long fingernails and the yes. urine in jars. And in stuff. jars, yeah, 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 yeah. He's might no more for that. But do you know who the in the comics who the inventor of the rocket pack actually was? No, it wasn't Howard Hughes. It was Doc Savage. Oh, okay. <laughs> Doc Savage, the Man of Bronze. They don't come out and say it's him, um, but it is definitely him. And and you know he's got a, a, a his like team around him, a bit like Buckaroo Banzai, you know, that are formed around him. And yeah, they are after the rocket pack as well as the Nazis. And they couldn't do it because Disney couldn't get permission from uh, Condé Nast, the copyright holder of um, Doc Savage. Okay, so, so this is more copyright. This is more bureaucratic business kind of stuff. Yeah, but I think it fits because to have Howard Hughes in it, also in the film, you you know you've got Clark Gable making an appearance, you've got W. C. Fields making an appearance. You know, Neville Sinclair is like a riff on Errol Flynn. Errol Flynn, yeah. And there, there, there were rumors, weren't they, that he was a Nazi sympathizer? Yeah, I love war. that stuff. That stuff mm. is so great, and especially like like you said, like putting all those people in it gives this a reality, and. I guess people didn't care so much about Howard Hughes until the aviator came out. And then people remembered how fascinating Howard mm-hmm. Hughes is on so many levels. And that's a great movie that the, I mean, not that there's a lot of special effects in it and <laughs> you would want to do it, but just to watch that movie and DiCaprio's performance is so good. So to see somebody else doing it, 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 I, I'm, I'm like, I guess I'm a Howard Hughes, like, junkie or something like mm. i want to see him portrayed in a lot of things mm. i think i think over here as i say i mean people you know tend to just think of his um recluse years um the the moment in the rocketeer where you know cliff escapes and you know he rides on that dummy plane and it takes off and yeah. howard Hughes just goes oh it, it son of a bitch will fly I think that went over everybody's heads here because people didn't know about this ambition he had to have this super duper giant plane, you know. Yeah, and Nobody that's would have the whole that reference. 
Yeah, maybe they would now if they seen the aviator because that is such yeah. a big part of the aviator and and him getting that plane off the ground and they keep going back to it and Leo and the way of the future, the way of the future. I love that fucking movie. I'm sorry, am I allowed to curse on here? You can do what you like. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got really excited about Howard Hughes. I can all tell. Of a yeah. <laughs> Did you think that, that this coming Saturday, you know, that you'd be getting all excited in your gym jams about Howard Hughes? <laughs> you know? No, but I hoped it would happen, and you've made it come true. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Um, before uh, we get into our sequence for today, one one other thing about the comics is, you know, the uh, the conclusion of the story that we see in the Rocketeer. Um, you know that's not the end of the stories because as i say there is no neville sinclair hollywood's not in it at all um it's just a race as to who's going to get the jetpack before the nazis or uh doc savage but then the story then goes to new york because betty stroke jenny goes off with this photographer she's traveling to new york and then she, they're going to catch a boat to europe where you know her modeling career will continue and and cliff clifford's after her and then there's a whole new adventure in New York, where he is teaming up again, the person's not not c- c- called by the name, but it's the Shadow. He teams up oh. with the Shadow in a uh, murder mystery, and this is where you get the guy who's basically Rondo Hatton, you know, Lothar in the film. He is in there in New York, and he used to be part of a circus troupe that Cliff was in, and everything. And he is bumping off the old circus team one by one. So, so Lothar is in it, but it's in New York where Cliff is teaming up with the Shadow to defeat Lothar. So this is like a whole not multiverse kind of thing going on here, but almost like a a rocket verse. You know, like you got all mm-hmm. these different uh, ideations of of entertainment coming together in one story i like this yeah no it's brilliant dave stevens in the 80s created his own pulp hero and then put him into a universe where all the pulp heroes are all together it's a great idea it's it's nifty isn't it and i I do recommend you get it dave if 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 you can track it down or if there's a kindle version or something the artwork is exquisite i mean he's he was a brilliant talent brilliantly talented guy he died of leukemia about 10 years ago, something like that. He was far too young. He was only like late 50s, early 60s. Right. I wonder, I mean, there were other movies, like The Shadow with Alec Baldwin came out after that. And this was long before the Marvel idea of movie making. But that would have been interesting if they could have somehow combined all those things. Well, why not do it? I mean, you know, Universal were trying to, you know, create, recreate, you know, their, their Universal monster universe why mm. not have a you know a reimagined shadow a doc savage film a um rocketeer film and then do an avengers thing and bring them all together for one big adventure you know you could do it i would be down for it i don't know if i think people i i think having nazis as your villain is always a lock because it's not like people are like uh oh, i don't know how i feel about the nazis well, everybody hates the Nazis, so it's yeah. an easy villain to have. But I don't know how people feel about things, at least in this country, about things set in the 40s. What, to I, do with Nazis? Just to do as, as your setting. I oh, think, I see. I think people people like to go back, and Christy from Neozaz has always pointed this out, that things go back 30 years. So in the 80s... You had a lot of 50s things like Back to the Future and Peggy Sue Got Married. And then it went on and on and on. It always goes back 30 years. I feel like maybe we're too far away from the 40s for people to – like, I mean, the people that 
lived in the 40s are dying out. Um, kids don't care about this. Well, movies are made for kids these days, and kids wouldn't be interested in the 1940s. Not at all. If you showed this to any high school kid, they would be on their phone within the first five minutes. I mean, you know, um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, right? When that came out, we watched that, and you got the Busby Berkeley number at the beginning, and, you know, we go along with it, you know? Mm -hmm. But if you were to make a film now for, you know, 12, 14-year-olds and put a Busby Berkeley number in it, they're like, what the bloody hell is this? Right. Yeah. They wouldn't get it. They wouldn't get it. Because you and I, we grew up on old films, didn't we? Yeah. On TV. When the weather's bad, you just and you've only got a couple of channels on TV, there's nothing else to do. You watch an old Western, you watch a musical or whatever, you know. But kids now with social media, they don't they they're not exposed to any of that stuff now, are they? Yeah, this is like ancient history to them. Yes, now. to them, yep. It's a shame because it is I mean, you'll still see movies made about it. And adults will go see those movies, but to to create a a multiverse like Marvel has done with something set in the forties, I think would be really rough. Mm, yeah, and that's maybe that that's why they're not doing it. You know. All right. Okay. That's the preamble over. So should we get into our sequence? Yes. For God's sake, Sinclair, help us get these flames out. Goodbye, Jenny. I wish I could take you with me. Everything about you is a lie. It wasn't lies, Jenny. It was acting. <laughs> I'll miss Hollywood. I don't think so. <laughs> Griffith Park Observatory. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I know, I know exactly what you're going to say. This the, the first shot of that blimp coming over Griffith Park Observatory mm -hmm. is awful. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but it is charming that, you know, throughout the whole film, while we're watching the film, there are nods to the past and there are nods to other films and stuff like that. And the fact that they set this at Griffith Park Observatory, if I ever get over to the States. I want to go there because, you know, it's been used in a heck of a lot of films. Oh, place, my God, yeah. You know? It should have its own IMDb page from Rebel Without a Cause to La La Land and everything in between. That gets mm. used a lot. The one I always think of, my number one for it, is The Terminator at the beginning when Arnold oh. arrives. That's where yeah. he meets Bill Paxton and the, those punks. That's I forgot about punk. that one. Mm. Yeah. I think of Bowfinger. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it is used a lot, a lot, a lot. And it's really awesome. But uh, and it, it apparently looks the same, especially La La Land's a good barometer of that because in La La Land, they go see Rebel Without a Cause. Mm. And they show scenes of Rebel Without a Cause. And then they juxtapose it with the La La Land scenes. And it looks exactly the same. They drive up in the same driveway yes. in that movie. See, it's, I've got a lot of respect for that. That's why I want to go there. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, here we are. Yeah, the, 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 the blimp, the Zeppelin has arrived. The Luxembourg Zeppelin has arrived. While you've got all the G-men and the Nazi commandos having this 
shootout. I don't know how how did all those commandos manage to get to Griffith Park and nobody spotted you know thirty Nazi commandos. That's going a good up question. Because and it's like really high up in the mountains. It always looks like. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. And oh, it, I just know. seeing just seeing Paul Sorvino do anything where he's on his feet and moving is <laughs> is is unsettling because he's usually sitting in a chair. He is behind a desk. Behind a desk, eating, barking out orders, being scary and intimidating. But to see him walking around is a special <laughs> effect in itself. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we have this. We've got this shootout, and you know, you've got Neville Sinclair and Lothar. They've taken Jenny up to the zeppelin. They go up onto the roof to the zeppelin, and Clifford has taken off of a dead Nazi a Mauser pistol. Mm-hmm. Now, as I say, John Johnston is the director of the film. You know him from Star Wars, you know, the uh, the visual effects guy. Yes. Um, cut his teeth on that. But you know what the Mauser is, don't you? That that pistol that the Rocketeer uses. Oh, okay. What, wait, what is it? It's what they base Han Solo's gun on. Okay. That's Han did... Solo's gun. Okay. That's, that's really cool. Because I know that he did have a lot to do with Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Um that's a cool that's a cool little that's a cool little tidbit I like that. Yeah. And what I love about this, I mean they are all the filmmakers involved in this are fans of the graphic novel and, and coming up in this sequence you've got a couple of moments where they have absolutely recreated panels from the comic strip and the one where the Rocketeer is posing by the flag and he's yeah, got the Mauser up. That is that is a line drawing. They have copied a line drawing. That's exactly how it appears in the comic book. That is that is a great money shot with him standing in front of that flag. In fact, that's a GIF online that I put on our Twitter the other day because mm. somebody somebody brought up the Rocketeer. Because I guess they talked about it on a show, and somebody said, I'm ready for Rocketeer in character to me. Do it, on, Dave. <laughs> on, on Twitter. And I put that GIF of him standing in front of the flag and kind of turning his head, and you get to see the... the that vein on it on on the back of the helmet it's so cool i think it's genius that the helmet is the rudder isn't it you turn your head and your whole body turns that's yep. why he's got the fin on the back and it is it, it is an iconic design that that helmet you know is beautiful and 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 again exactly the same as from the comic they have recreated it exactly um, yeah it's great and and every every movie like this needs that alan arkin character to explain not only to the hero the rules of what's about to happen in this movie, but the audience. that All that stuff is, it's you know, he's saying it to the character because it's for his benefit, but it's also for our benefit. And Alan Arkin is just amazing in everything he does. And this is like very unlike other things that he does, and he still kills it. I had forgotten how similar his PV character is here to... Uh... The father in Edward Scissorhands. It could be exactly the same person, you know. His 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 style of delivery is exactly the same. But you're right, yeah. He he's he set he sets things up throughout the film, and we, we've got it coming up. The whole chewing gum plug in the hole. Oh, if you <laughs> yeah. unplug that, you know, you're gonna uh, you're gonna blow up. Um, yeah. So Clifford takes off. He goes up. We get another you know beautiful shot where he's walking past the swastika there on the tail of the of the zeppelin, and. Yeah. Uh, he has that fight with Lothar. I have not looked into the actor who plays Lothar because he is wearing heavy prosthetics um, to uh, recreate Rondo Hatton. Do you know who Rondo Hatton is? No. 
Right. I know, Ron- I know who Ricky Hatton is. I don't know Rondo. No, no, no. Rondo Hatton. I mean, that's why the guy looks like he does. I mean, that is uh, makeup. That, that, that's, he's got a heavy amount of um, um, prosthetics on Lothar. There was a heavy in films from the 30s called Rondo Hatton. Okay. And he looked exactly like that. That's not what the actor looks like at all. And that's why earlier in the film, you know, where he's going around snapping people in two um, and saying, where is it? Right. That's why his mouth isn't moving properly, because he's just got so much uh, um, latex and rubber on his face. Right. And that was also Dick Tracy had come out. Mm, oh, the yeah. year before this that was a that was such a dick like that you could take that character and put it into dick tracy and he's a dick tracy villain because they were all cartoonish looking people whose physical characteristics were exaggerated that's what he looked like to me yeah i mean rondo hatton that was natural you know but but yeah they had to recreate it for this film and again it's a lovely nod back to you know golden era hollywood you know right so he has this fight on top of the Zeppelin with Lothar, and we keep cutting back inside with um, um, Neville Sinclair and Jenny and the pilot and blah, blah, blah. I don't know about you, but watching it, the way the interior of that Zeppelin is filmed, the lighting of it, is very Last Crusade. Okay. The, yeah, the like way with it's them. all staged in there. Okay. Yeah, I see it. It's a, it, it, it's a great little stage. It It's probably... Five times bigger than a real Zeppelin's uh, control room would be. But who cares? But It's just great fun, isn't it? This whole sequence is great fun, you know, um, culminating with Jenny firing the flare um, (laughs) and uh, Neville Sinclair putting on the rocket pack. I like seeing Timothy Dalton as a villain. I really do. So do do I. Yeah. Is he... How is he... I think people view him here as kind of a joke. And I don't like that because I'm a big T. Dalt fan. In fact, people make fun of me because he's my until until Daniel Craig. He was my favorite James Bond. Over here, he is viewed as a failed James Bond and does not have the clout that I think he should. How is it? How is he viewed? I think there? it's similar that he is a failed James Bond, but over here, it's not through any fault of his own. He's a bloody good actor who wasn't given a fair enough crack of the whip. He could have easily gone on to do a third or a fourth Bond film, you know? Um, yeah. I, I, I really like him. I, I, I really like him as an actor. Um, he's not considered a, a, a loser at all or anything like that over here. He's, he's held in quite good stead, I think. All right. Good, because I think here he's kind of a joke. Oh, he's sending himself up. He's sending up the, you, 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 you know, himself something rotten. He's brilliant. When you see him at the beginning and he's got the curly wig on, and he's definitely doing an Errol Flynn and everything. He's enjoying it, isn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think he's great, and especially this is after Bond, and I don't know what he thought his career was going to be, but I think after this, it really he didn't do much, or if he no. did, I don't I don't know of it. No, it is a shame. I I really like the two Bond films that he did. So do I. I think they're great, and he he was perfect to have. Um, you know, you want to reset. James Bond and go back to more serious after the silliness of the later Roger Moore ones. Well, he was brilliant for that. Yeah, I agree. All right. So, yeah, he puts the rocket pack on. I mean, up until now, special effects wise, we've got the Zeppelin at night. You know, you've got all the flying bits with uh, Clifford. Absolutely fine. The Zeppelin, absolutely fine. 
But then he puts on the rocket pack and he takes off. Mm-hmm. Um, the ship starts going down. He takes off. He lasts about five seconds before he blows up. And yeah. it's not a good effect, um, no. th- th- this fireball that consumes him, I don't think. No. And and it, I think any time at times in this when they're flying, and it goes for the scene that you're talking about here with the fire, there's a lot of effects that are see-through. Yeah. I think when he, even when he's flying at times, you can see right through him. And that that's the way this fire kind of is. It's like like they had Timothy Dalton do some business on screen and said, We're gonna add fire later and it just looks like they just put it over top of them and it's transparent. I don't know, it's really awful. I think they went to a lot of trouble. We'll talk about it in a minute, but they went to a lot of trouble to try and make it look as convincing. But I think it's the compositing of the separate elements combining them together right. didn't work too well. Um, yeah, and, and and it is the weak point of this. I mean, in a minute, the Zeppelin's going to blow up, and that's fine. But him blowing up, um, not that good. I do like the way he destroys the land in Hollywood Land in in this universe. That's why Hollywood's called Hollywood and not Hollywood Land. Yeah. That he they um, do he they do that it. In, right. They do that in movies. That happened in some other movie too. It was like a disaster movie or something that was set back then when it used to say Hollywood Land. I don't know why it really disappeared. No, um, but I, I, that, I think it rotted away. I think you know it. It it it, it turned out it'd be cheaper to maintain if you've got you know five less letters. Yeah, four less letters. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I've seen other things besides this that that try to explain that going away. It's cute. I like it. Yeah, yeah. And that's when the the zeppelin ex- starts to explode the front blows up and you know the explosions go off all the way down um and you've got jenny and cliff and lothar on the top um and they're saved by the arrival of howard hughes and pv in an auto gyro <laughs> um i love the auto gyro i remember you know reading batman comics you know that were made in in the 40s there were the, the earliest bat plane was an auto gyro it was one of them just painted <laughs> black you know <laughs> Yeah, so that's it. The Zeppelin blows up, they go off, and that's our sequence over, right? Yes. Now, now I know that you're a fan of Rocketeer, and, and that's why I thought of you to do this. But um, the other reason I wanted to do the Rocketeer is there's an interesting uh, backstory to the bit we've just been talking about, right? Okay. I don't know much about the Rocketeer. I love it, but I don't know much about it, so I'm anxious to learn. I'm just glad at that point that Timothy Dalton is gone because... I don't have to listen to his awful German anymore. <laughs> That's the only thing he's that good at. I think basically his uh, his dialogue consists of him yelling Schnell yes. over and over again. If, if you do a drinking game with that, you'll be wasted from those scenes at the end because that's all he does is yell Schnell. Yeah. It's like, all right, you, maybe, maybe take it easy on the German because it's not good. No, it's not that good, is it? All right, so behind the scenes. Um, a bit of behind the scenes before we get to our bit of behind the scenes the first bit is that this has got quite a long gestation period this um um dave stevens sold the film rights back in 83 oh wow so 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 it took eight years to actually get onto the screen um and part of that delay was the screenwriters uh danny bilson and paul demio left after creative differences with disney um one of them get this right they wanted Disney, they bought the rights to it. Yeah, we're going to make this film. Um, they wanted to change the helmet design. What? Yeah. 
Michael Eisner wanted a straight NASA style helmet. Yeah, that, that that would have been terrible. Whoever put their foot down and stood up to him on that was was uh, certainly right. That would have been awful. It's it's the whole look. I mean that that jacket. I love that jacket. I wish I had that jacket. Yeah, that yeah like everything jacket. about it. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah, no, it was Joe Johnston who convinced them. No, 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 it's got to stay as it is, right? Good for him. I've, all... I've actually seen that costume. Um, oh, you have? From, yeah, because I'm a huge Disney geek, and we would go to Disney World. My family lives in Florida, so every year we would, my parents and I from Pennsylvania would go to Florida, and we'd see my family, and we would go to Disney World every summer. I've been to Disney World, I don't know, 40 times. It's It's a lot. And... In the what was then MGM Hollywood Studios, which is now just Hollywood Studios, I think, they used to have stuff from their current movies. Oh, right. And I got to see, they they had a thing where you could go and you could see all of the Dick Tracy costumes. Like I've seen, I've seen uh, the Dick Tracy, you know, yellow trench coat and hat and all that kind of stuff. And I remember they had the Rocketeer costume behind glass for you to look at and i just stood there and i was like this is so cool i get like i i they used to do stuff like that at mgm studios to to advertise their movies but also i want to see that stuff yeah you so. can't beat it uh, yeah you know i've been to exhibitions you know especially the the star wars ones with all the props and the model work and okay you can buy a magazine you can buy a book and you can study a photo it's not the same as, as seeing it up close you know no I went to a Tim Burton exhibition in Paris and they had Edward Scissorhands costume there wow. and it wasn't behind glass. You could touch it. And the craftsmanship in that was you see far more in the flesh than you would ever pick up on a photo or watching it on a Blu-ray. You know? Right. That's great. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, it was Joe Johnston that said, no, the helmet's got to stay the same. It was also Joe Johnston that um, persuaded them that Billy Campbell was right for the role. Um, Billy Campbell wanted to do it. In fact, he, he wanted to do it so much, he went to the barbers with the comics and said, I need this haircut. So when he went for his audition, he already had the Clifford Seacord haircut. All right, good for him. I, good. I respect that. Well, he needed to do that because, as I say, Disney, you know, they wanted to make it their way. Doing this sadly uh, all too often thing of Hollywood deciding we got the rights to this but we're going to change things and it's like well if you're going to do that why bother buying the rights to begin with right Um, just do your own thing yeah I will put on Facebook photos from the comic and you can see that Billy Campbell very much resembles Clifford Secord right Mm -hmm. but do you want to hazard a guess as to which two contemporary Hollywood actors were in the running to actually uh, be the Rocketeer. I was trying to think when when you asked me this before. This would have been early 90s. I mean, I don't know when this was shot, 89, 90. I can't think of anybody that that fits this. And I guess that's a credit to Billy Campbell because Mm. I can't really picture anybody else being the Rocketeer other than him. Uh, I I I don't even have a guess. I think you're absolutely right. You know, he is indelibly stamped in my brain that that's the Rocketeer. And these names I'm going to come out with now, it's just ridiculous. If you try and picture them in that jacket, 
you know, no, right? Mm -hmm. So the first two, okay, and you're going to go no, especially to the second one, you're going to go no way, right? First one, uh, Matthew Modine. <laughs> okay. Well, he's got the uh, hair. He's got the floppy hair. He does have the, the weird hair. Yeah, I, I'm not a Matthew Modine guy. and he, he, to me, I think that the, the Rocketeer has to be handsome. And Matthew Modine is very odd-looking to me. I think that would have taken something away. I've always thought, you know, 89 Batman, Matthew Modine should have been the Joker. Okay. I can totally see him as the Joker. He's got, he's got the angular face. He's got the nose for it. He's got the chin for it. You know, rather than the chubby Jack Nicholson version, we would have had someone more Michael Keaton's age, you know, because they're meant to be mirror images of each other, aren't they? You know, yeah. I, I always thought he would have been a brilliant Joker. Yeah, he's not a bad actor. He's just not – you know, you view him more as something weird like that, mm. not not the hero. No, no. So, right, you ready for the number two? And you, this is when you're going to go, no way. Ready? <laughs> yeah. Kevin Costner. <laughs> Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner can do anything. I say yes. No, you can't. <laughs> no, that, no, no, that, that that's that, that's that's Ray from Field of Dreams. You can't. <laughs> Kevin He's Costner. Not the Rocketeer. No, Kevin Costner's too much of an of an everyman kind of thing. Yeah. To to pull off something like Kevin Costner could never play a superhero. The closest he gets is Robin Hood, and there's a lot of debate on Neo's as on whether or not that's good. I love Kevin Costner. I really, really love Kevin Costner, but he would be wrong for this. Field of Dreams, my second favorite film of all time. So, you know, I'm not going to argue with you. All right, so I've got a bunch of others. They couldn't get those two. Here are the others that were all auditioned, but they weren't um, they, they weren't to pan out. Ready? Mm -hmm. Emilio Estevez. Oh my God, no! That's that's the worst one. Emilio Estevez is pretty awful in everything, aside from not fitting this at all as far as body type and the chops that you need to bring to to playing. This this, this Rocketeer is really a superhero. Yes, Emilio Viz Estevez is not a superhero shape. Is it? No, no. That that's the worst one. I, can't, I I I am not a fan of his at all, and he could not have pulled this off. It would have been awful. You say that's the worst. We've still got some more to go, right? Billy Campbell is looking better and better yeah, yeah, by yeah. the minute here. Next one, and apparently he said that he got really close to getting it, uh, Bill Paxton. All right. He's he's not handsome enough, but Bill Paxton, Bill Paxton, I think, could have done it as far as the acting. He doesn't have the look, though. No, no. Right. Next, uh, Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid could have done this. He's yeah he he's he's got the he's also got the charisma hasn't he Yes he's he's handsome he's he's sarcastic he could have done the pissed off version of Cliff like you were describing that Billy Kimball couldn't have done Dennis Quaid would have worked out I love yeah, Dennis he, Quaid too. He could have done the charming bit as well couldn't he you know Absolutely that that could have been okay yeah, no, I'm I'm okay with Dennis Quaid. Last last one, it's like no way to this one. Uh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is also one of my all-time favorite actors, but I don't think he's right for this either. He's too. He, he, that's like saying I'll use Harrison Ford. There's just click. Clifford Secord is a young guy. You know, he's a kid basically. You can't have, you know, Snake Pliskin. 
as the yeah. Rocketeer, you know? No, no, he's just too manly, I think, Kurt Russell. That's that's a good way to put it. Part yeah. of the charm of, I keep, we keep calling him Billy Kimball, but he was trying to be super serious and went by Bill Campbell mm. in this. He is thoroughly charming and wholesome is a good word for him. Mm. Kurt Russell is not wholesome. No, he's rugged. Yeah, that's a good he's word Jack Burton. He is Jack Burton. Yeah, he's yeah, that wouldn't. He's all those things. Yeah, that that wouldn't have worked either. No. All right, so Dennis Quaid maybe, but all right, Billy Campbell. I like Billy Campbell in it. Yeah, yeah. I'm all right, sticking um, with Mr. Campbell. Okay. All right. Uh, for PV, the Alan Arkin role, um, the person who turned down that role was Lloyd Bridges. No, he's too silly. I don't know. Like maybe he actually maybe then this is pre Hot Shots. It is. So when I think of Lloyd Bridges now, I think of the Hot Shots movie, and I think of him in Seinfeld. No, I always think of him in Airplane. And, okay, because yes, Airplane was before this. Yeah. Lloyd Bridges at that point was already pre Leslie Nielsen. Like yes. you've you've turned in your serious card, and you are the spoof guy now. Yep. No yep. good. Right. Uh, Neville Sinclair, a couple of casting choices for Neville Sinclair. Jeremy Irons. That would have worked. And Charles Dance. I think both of those could have worked. Who is Charles Dance? Oh, he's in Game of Thrones now. He's um, He was in Alien 3. Um, oh, Golden Child. Yes. Last yeah. Action Hero. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Him, yeah. I like that guy. Yeah, no, I think he could have done that. He is, he is really, in those two movies I just mentioned, which are total garbage but fun to watch, he's actually really scary yeah. and menacing. Oh, no, he, he is intense, that guy. Yeah. Yeah, he could have done this, but t Dot, you got to stick with t Dot. Yeah, yeah. And then lastly, before we get into the special effects bit, um, people considered for the role of Jenny, um, Sherilyn Fenn. Okay. I, I can see that. Uh, yeah. Kelly, Kelly Preston. Gorgeous. Yeah. Diane Lane. Gorgeous. Elizabeth so McGovern. Okay, yeah, this, and I'm not trying to sound sexist, but I feel like the Jenny role of all the roles is, it's important to the story. But I don't know that Jennifer Connelly does anything that I'm like, only Jennifer Connelly could ever play this role. Mm. Really, I think you could have chosen a lot of people. Yeah, and the last one, Pen Pen Penelope Ann Miller was also chosen. Yeah, you know. they're all, they're all I think they would all been fine, you know. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, right. After that little bit of behind the scenes, we get into the behind the scenes on the special effects. Um, so the visual effects sequences, all done by ILM, of course. Um, and they were supervised by the animation director, Wes Takahashi. Right? Okay. Now, you might not know his name. Do you know the name Wes Takahashi? I do not. All right. You, you know his work, even though you don't know him. His past work included animating all the time travel sequences for all three Back to the Future films. Oh, boy. That was him. And he also animated, because it was back then when it was cell animation, uh, the boy um, on the moon, the DreamWorks logo. You know? <laughs> okay, with the, fish, with the fishing pole. Yeah, yeah. Ding, That's ding, him. Ding, 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 yeah. All right, Well done, him. Dave. That was exactly right. <laughs> right, so... um. Onto the special effects behind the scenes. I mean, uh, most of the flying scenes, when you see the Rocketeer in the film, was an 18-inch tall puppet. Okay. It wasn't Billy Campbell on a harness. 
it was for close-ups, obviously, and things like that. But when you see him at a distance and when he's doing everything, he was an incredibly um, well-articulated 18-inch tall puppet. And on Facebook, I'll put up the photos. And if you see a photo, you would say, that's Billy Campbell dressed as a rocketeer. But it's not. It's not until you see someone standing behind it that you realise, bloody hell, that is actually a model. And it was just like a giant G.I. Joe, really. That's great. Being able to hide the face makes a big difference in that kind of stuff because you, you could you could so disguise that it's not a real person just by putting a helmet on it. Yeah, but also, I mean, a, a photo I'll put up, you can see the camera's low down on this puppet and pointing up. And not only is he wearing the helmet, but he's got the chin strap underneath, under his chin. is awesome. all done up as well. They actually put all that in as well. This is this is good stuff. I, I would love to see the the puppet and that reminds me i mean of the stuff that all movies at least for that time were based on is the stuff you would see the way they would animate han solo on a tauntaun Mm, yeah and and those were those were for every kid that had those toys those were the ultimate toys those Mm. models that they used to shoot those things oh yeah big time (laughs) all right so the death of neville sinclair I, i i think you'll agree that's the weakest uh, part of this uh, sequence yeah. is, is the blowing up. Um, they they did blue screen of Timothy Dalton on a harness. They suspended him there and filmed him like doing that. Um, and then with the fireball going off, they did lighting passes. They went along and you know did flickering lights on him while they were doing that. And the mat line, and I think maybe this is where it goes wrong. The mat line between Timothy Dalton and the fireball was kept deliberately soft. Um, to try and make it look like he was being incons- being consumed by the fireball, but I don't think it works. No, it doesn't. It's it's just it it looks like exactly what you described is what it looks like. They're not fooling us that that that's what that's the way they when when you can figure out the way they shot it from just watching it, it's not a good effect. It takes you out of it as well. Whenever you see somebody staring into camera when they have their deaths, you know, it takes you out of it a bit. It's a bit like, oh, um, Alan Rickman in Die Hard. I don't think, yeah. oh my God, he's falling to his death. It's like Alan Rickman is looking at me, you know? Yeah. Um, or the guy at the, the end of Robocop. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. With, it breaks with the, the arms. fourth wall a bit, doesn't it? A bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the the Rickman one is still a thousand times better than, than this. Do you know the story? We're going off on a bit of a tangent here. Do you know why he's pulling that funny face? That odd face as he starts yeah. falling in slow motion. Yeah, they dropped him early. Yeah, they didn't tell him. <laughs> so that's genuine shock on his face. <laughs> Good for him. I mean, yeah, they- he's because I've heard that story several times that he's he was afraid of heights, but he said he would do it. And they, you know, said we'll drop you on five, <laughs> and they dropped him on three. He actually did it again then too. Yeah. Yeah. So, probably, I mean, every everybody loves Alan Rickman and misses him and mm. all the stuff we got to see and then the stuff we got to nazi after he died because he was he was so great the fact that he was afraid they they did it and he whether he did or john mctiernan is is an amazing salesman that they got him to do it again is the is amazing (laughs) bless him bless him um the hollywood land explosion um you know when neville lands and destroys the land bit that was um filmed in ilm's car park okay <laughs> and the, the the sign was one-tenth scale 
and that worked out that the letters, each letter was about five feet tall. Do you call parking lots car parks? Car parks, yeah. Okay. The yeah, I should have lot. said parking lot. Um, yeah, no, no, it's car park. We you know what's funny? We don't have parking lots. Nobody says parking lots in England. Do you have? Do you know the song? They paved paradise and put up a parking lot. Yeah, that's the only reason I know it. You know, do they, do, they don't. They don't translate it to they paved paradise and put up a car park. It wouldn't work, would it? <laughs> no, it doesn't rhyme, or it doesn't. I, yeah, I have to look into see if anybody's done an English cover version <laughs> and and changed it to car park. It's not the same, really, is it? It's it loses something. The only place I'm, I'm sorry, I know you're talking about this. I'm fascinated by by uh, the different colloquialisms in different mm-hmm. countries. Um, the only place in America that calls a parking lot a car park is Boston. Oh, really? And it fits with their accent, like that 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 Boston accent, like put your car in the car park. Mm-hmm. Nobody so else. A bit, of a, a, a bit of a stronger in- English influence lasted there. Then I guess after. I don't know. I I just think it, I just think it's uh, nobody calls it's a parking lot. No, it's a car park. <laughs> If you were to say, if you were in England, if you were English in England and you say, I'll, I'll see you in 20 minutes in the parking lot, people yeah. go, hey, what are you talking about? You know, right. there's a lot. What lot? The parking yeah. lot. What yeah. does lot mean? I know, yeah. I, I know you can buy a, a, a plot yeah. of land. There's not a lot of parking. There's only a little parking. It oh, would... is that what it is? Yeah, so, I don't know. <laughs> so it should be a parking little. <laughs> that's funny Sh- shouldn't it yeah if you get to a parking lot that's full does it become a parking little parking little there you go a car- I see in this. England a car park is a car park if it's full it's a full car park or it's an empty car park you don't have to change the lettering like you do in America <laughs> I love it yeah alright so this is it this is the reason I chose this subject for today here we go this is this is a bit of a bizarro story I've got for you okay um, the blowing up of the Zeppelin Right. Yeah. Now they based its destruction on the Hindenburg disaster in New Jersey nice. in mm-hmm. 1937, right? Mm-hmm. And this is where we go a bit twilight zone now. I need to put the twilight zone music on, right? There was a guy at ILM when they went to do this. He was a stage technician called Dick Dover, right? He was actually <laughs> What? Yeah. That's his name? That's his name, Dick Dover. Dick yes. Dover. Dick, Dick, no, Dick, I suppose he, yeah, Dick Dover. <laughs> that is the best name ever. What's your name? Dick Dover. I'm Dick sorry. Dover. <laughs> I'm sorry that they did did that to you. Dick Dover. <laughs> Going off on another massive tangent here. I, I, I bet you don't know that over here a porn star is called Ben Dover. <laughs> He's an infamous That's... porn star called Ben Dover. That is a great. That is that is a joke that you'll hear on things, along with George Costanza saying, "If he was a porn star, his name would be Buck Naked." Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a good one. We had a comedy a guy over here um, called Kenny Everett, fantastic comedian, and uh, he had a spoof American uh, film director, and he was called Dick Thrust. You know, <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Dick Thrust. He would. <laughs> it's excellent. Yeah. So uh, sorry. Uh, back on track. Dick Dover. Right. <laughs> That, yeah. That's not the bizarro bit, his name. The bizarro bit is that he was actually there in 1937 and watched the Hindenburg blow up. Oh, cool. One of the guys who was arranging to blow up this model Zeppelin saw the real Hindenburg blow up. He was there with his mother. They were waiting for his father, who was on the Hindenburg. Oh, my okay, God. As it came in. His father survived it. He actually filmed some of 
the, the initial stages before jumping out of a window. No way! Yeah, and they used his own father's footage to study, as well as all the other newsreel footage, for reference material for this explosion that they did. That's pretty neat. That is that is that is neat. They <laughs> that connection. It, it almost sounds like it would be made up, but it's it's so good. No, and that's not the only bizarro bit. That's the first initial bit of bizarro. All right. So um, Steve Gawley and his model crew they built a zeppelin, and it came out at thirty feet, thirty four feet long. That model zeppelin is thirty four feet long. Wow. That's and a, weighed three hundred pounds. Oh my god. Um, now the skinning material that they used over the frame of the zeppelin was something called Solatex. Okay. Now that is a very tough fabric that you could heat shrink. So you know you lay it over something, you heat it up and it'll shrink down to that form, all right? But back when they made this film, it was only available in England at the time. But at that time it was Operation Desert Storm. Uh, right? Okay. Yeah. And the British army had commandeered much of the stuff. Okay. They, yeah, I don't know what they needed school. it for, but they that yeah, because uh, they needed it for their operations. Um, buying large amounts then meant that there was an eight-week delay. Okay, and that, along with Disney wanting to um, cut costs, meant that Disney said you can only make one Zeppelin, right? Just the one. <laughs> oh, um, and that's despite ILM saying, "No, that's crazy. If you're talking about pyrotechnics and stuff, you need to have a spare." just in case something goes wrong. But Disney are like, no, 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 you make the one and you're going to have to make do with it, right? So the day comes along, they're going to blow it up. The model was lifted up on a forklift. Again, on Facebook, I'll, I'll put up photos. You can see the guys. It's up on a forklift. You've got guys underneath. They, they, they cut panels open, put the explosives in, then sealed it all back up. And then to film it, they raised it up um, on a crane, nose down, 20 feet in the air. Um, they had five VistaVision cameras filming it, all at different speeds, the, the fastest speed being about 300 frames per second. Um, the explosions were detonated, and it all went tits up because the explosions are meant to go from the nose towards the back, but the tail blew up first. Oh, jeez. Which meant the footage was totally unusable. Uh, they, they, they couldn't do anything um, with it at all. Um, so it's like, crap, what are we going to do? We haven't got a spare. And Disney said, you've got no choice. You've got to build another one exactly the same. Now, that first one took four months to create. Mm -hmm. This time, they only had five weeks right. to do it. So they busted a gut, you know, worked around the clock to get it done. And, you know, there was no room for error on this time because they wouldn't have had a third one. When they did do the filming of this second one, it was just literally weeks before the film's release. Oh, and, geez. you know, so, yeah, um, it was a tense time. Um, they knew that if it did go wrong again, they would just have to superimpose an explosion over existing footage that they had of the Zeppelin. Yeah. So they set it up, and, yeah, it went fine. Um, and, you know, that's the shot that we see in the film. But the last little bizarro thing is that Ken Rawson who was the visual effects supervisor, just happened to look on the day that they were going to film it. They had a calendar there uh, um, on this day in history calendar. And the mm -hmm. day that they filmed the second one blowing up was the exact day that the Hindenburg blew up. <laughs> oh, the humanity. Oh, the humanity. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it a bit, bit bizarre all that, don't you think? 
It is. It's it. It's weird how intertwined those two things are. Yeah. Madness. And I think isn't. I mean, I watched a documentary. I, I was actually uh, with students. I watched a documentary in a science class on why the Hindenburg blew up, hmm. and it had a lot to do with the, with the stuff you were talking about about the hydrogen inside the blimp not being able to escape enough through or being trapped in by the casing. Yes. And that it was that the wood inside, once that combination of what it was wrapped in, the amount of deadly hydrogen that was in there and the wood, that was why it ended up blowing up. And so fast, the way it was consumed so quickly as well. And so wasn't fast. It? It, there was no chance that that wasn't going to go up like a wick. And that's why after that, you know, production was halted effectively, wasn't it? Because that was the that was going to be the big thing, wasn't it? Zeppelin travel was the, is the new thing, you know. Yeah. But, but no, so so that's that. The, the, the only other little nugget of information I got for you, and I thought of you when I saw this, is that um, originally, when it went on its original cinema release, it was meant to have been preceded by a Roger Rabbit cartoon. Oh. Yeah, not, when, yeah they, they used to do that. There was Tummy Trouble and something else. There was Roger Rabbit shorts that were, yeah. they were put in front of Disney movies. They were going to put one in. And I think that's entirely fitting because you know you're a fan of Roger Rabbit. That is mm-hmm. another knowing, loving, you know, uh, look back to classic Hollywood, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> the you could you could make a day of watching those two movies back to back, and and they're totally different themes. But uh, the way that I mean, you, Disney, it sounds like Disney does what they did on this and try to put their stamp on it and change things. And you have to have a strong director like Johnston to cha- to make sure it didn't happen. But Disney also does things very well. And both of those, both of these, are good examples of that time period. Mm. It would be it would be nice if Roger Rabbit was made after the Rocketeer to have had the Rocketeer in animation form appear somewhere in Roger Rabbit. Oh, that would have been really cool. Yeah, you've got Dumbo flying along, you've got the Rocketeer flying alongside him, or something like that. You know, <laughs> that would have been great. I wonder what movie the Roger Rabbit. There was a Roger Rabbit on something. It was yeah, you're it was right. Called Tummy what Trouble. Was it? Well, I can't remember. I can't remember either, but I, I I used to love it when they would do stuff like that, and they would put that because that was such an old fashioned thing to do, and then they did it for every once in a while they'd do it for a movie, they'd put a short on or a movie, yeah. and I mean before Pixar, because Pixar's always done that. I mean other movies like I remember when Father of the Bride came out in 1990, the short that was attached to it was the first time I ever saw Mr. Bean. Oh, really? They recreated the Mr. Bean episode where he meets the Queen from right. from the original show. They reshot that as a film, as a short film, and it's it's very much the same. He does the same jokes, uh, but they shot it again to be attached to Father of the Bride. Uh, see, I showed that. I don't remember that though. I tell you Maybe what, I do here. remember. If you're talking about cartoons um, as a like a mini little second feature before the main film the one that always i i remember is when we had et all right okay uh we had a cartoon uh before it and it was a chilly willy cartoon do you know who chilly yeah. willy is oh yeah chilly willy the yeah. penguin the penguin right and yeah and et opened at christmas 
uh, here in the UK, and we still had it. It was the same print um, at Easter. Um, so yeah. we went from Christmas to Easter, and because it was only like a four-minute little cartoon, and you had to, you know, when it finished, you had to raise the house lights because you, you got your sales break coming up. You couldn't mm -hmm. go away from the projector. So every time you were showing ET, you had to stand by the projector for four minutes, listening to that same bloody cartoon for <laughs> maybe four months, three, four yeah. months. You had it memorized. Oh man, that's why. Yeah, yeah. If I see an image of Chili Willy, it's just I just want to kill it. You know, you start, you start going into convulsions. I do, I do. Yes, yeah. All right, so that's that's uh, that's today over. You know, it's been since April last year, but you know that we've got to rate the special effects out of ten. Um, okay. Um, with five being average and zero being zero, and ten being mm -hmm. the best thing you've ever seen. So, taking into account, you know, the Zeppelin, the flying, Timothy Dalton blowing up. Um, what what would you give it, Dave? I think, and, and we're starting the scene with the Zeppelin coming over the observatory. Yes, yeah, that that's as well. Th that shot made me laugh out loud at how bad it is because of the perspective. I mean, imagine. A tall, uh, not a super tall building, but a building that's several stories at least. That Zeppelin is right on top of that building. <laughs> so when it, it, you just see the, the, the nose of it coming over the, the thing, the, the building, if it ever did get to the cabin underneath the Zeppelin, it would have been crashing into yes. not even the top of the building. Maybe the bot the bottom floor of the building. That Zeppelin wouldn't have even made it over that hill. No, it would have crashed into the side of the hill. It would have crashed into the side of the hill. It would have been. It would have been like movie over then. <laughs> and that is to me like I know things are different with technology, and but to me that kind of is a would have been an avoidable m mistake. Mm. Somebody had to look at that and go, the perspective's way off on this shot. Are we keeping this? And they're just like, screw it. We have to build another blimp. <laughs> just keep it. We're moving on. We come out in four weeks. Um, I hate that shot. The the transparent fire, not good either. Um, I, I like I like some of the things in it. Like you said, when he's walking up the the starboard, I guess, part of that blimp, and he's standing in front of that Nazi flag. I like some of the practical things. I guess that's what I'm saying, but it's not good. I, I, I give. I guess I'll give it in somewhere in the middle. I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it like a four, a four out of ten. I think of all the things in this movie, and I could. I still have lots of really nice things to say about this movie. The special effects are not one of them. I give it a four. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's duff. That that first shot of the zeppelin is duff. Timothy Dalton blowing up is duff. But the explosion of the Zeppelin's really good. And as you say, you know, there's the, the, the staging of some of the shots with the Rocketeer and all that. So um, I gave it a six. So if, if you give it a four and I give it a six, that's an average of a five, which makes it average. Uh, it's an yeah. average effect, which I think that that's all right, isn't it? That's fair enough. It is very average. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's not I'm, bad like the guy falling off the building at the end of Robocop. No, with the no. long with the long clay arms. That's still, uh, I, I think, second lowest ever effect that we've ever done. In, <laughs> What's on the this lowest? Show. It is, yeah. Um, it's it's a hideously crappy um, uh, early day CGI War of the Worlds uh, one, and uh, me and Matt did that, and I think that's a zero 
point four. <laughs> and I don't think okay. anything will ever top that because it is truly atrocious. Yeah. All right, that's us done for today, uh, Dave. Thank you ever so uh, for taking up your time. Uh, let, let me take up your time this uh, Saturday morning. Oh, thank you. This is I. I really I. I have it available now. Anytime I want on Disney Plus. So since you've asked me, I've watched it twice. I will watch it again. I love this movie. We didn't even talk about the music. How great is the music? Oh, James Horner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should have done. I mean, again, I don't understand, right? At the beginning, when that theme starts up, okay, it is a bit similar to what he did with Field of Dreams. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it it's a beautiful, classic, instantly memorable, instantly hummable tune. It's but gorgeous. Nobody ever mentions it. It's never used in other things and when people talk about James Horner's work it's always other things but that is a classic hero theme you don't really get scores today where it is synonymous with that subject or that character but this one works really really well and I don't understand why it's not acknowledged more much like the rest of the film yeah it should be up there in the pantheon of the greatest themes it gives me a chill every time I hear it it is gorgeous and um, do you, I don't. You've never spoken to Steve, who was a friend of ours on Neo's. As I don't no, think. no, I haven't. Um, but he was my fellow projectionist, and uh, we used to we used to make CDs when people made CDs for the theater patrons to listen to while they were waiting yep. for their movies. And we did one that was all movie pop songs, movie this, movie that. We did one that was scores, and just so it was represented, the Rocketeer was on there. And people were listening to it. It is gorgeous. In fact, Steve and I used to, because we watched so many trailers, and and I know you did too as a projectionist, you start to hear the same four or five songs oh, yes. in every trailer. Yep. And Steve, this is, this is early internet. Steve tracked down all of these um, themes and found that they were really from five movies. Mm. One was... Dragonheart yes. with Dennis Quaid. One was the American President, Michael Douglas. And one was the Rocketeer theme. If you needed a hero theme in a trailer and your trailer, your music wasn't done for your movie yet, you used one of five scores. And this was one of them, mm. which is a cool thing, I think. Yes, yes. So why isn't this film known more? We'll get back to that first question that started this show. It's such a shame, isn't it? It is. It's 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 classic. It's beautiful. Other than the special effects, it's nearly perfect. It's a great story. It's great acting, and it's got such charm mm. that I think if people watch it now, they would say like, "Why?" They would say the same thing we're saying. Like, why isn't this uh, one of the Disney classics? Maybe Disney Plus will help that mm. because people once you exhaust seeing the Marvel movies and Star Wars a million times, you might scan down and say, "What else can we watch?" Yeah. And if you're looking for something else to watch, this is it. This this movie did, I think, I love movies that are set in the past that you, when you watch them, you feel like you're watching, you feel like it was made in that time period. Yes. And the best example I can think of for that is A Christmas Story. Mm-hmm. That movie was made in the 80s. It came out in like 83. But if you showed that to someone and didn't give them any context, they would assume that movie was shot and filmed in the 60s mm. because it looks like it is. This movie looks like, I know that there wasn't the technology, this movie looks like it was shot when it, when it was set. Yep. 
the feel, the set, the costumes. Um, it it's another reason why I think it's so good. Mm. Well, I think the renaissance of the film starts here with this podcast, don't you think? I do too. Yeah, we'll we'll work hand in hand with Disney Plus to get the film out there and get the acknowledgement that it deserves, all right? So thank you for uh, helping us launch that today then, Dave. Thank you for having me. It's always been a thin slice of heaven. (laughs) Smashing. Cheers then, Dave. Cheers. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.